Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Christy Wilson Cairns, a screenwriter whose credits include Showtime's Penny Dreadful and Edgar Wright's upcoming Last Night in Soho. She's also the co-writer of Sam Mendes' World War I drama 1917, which opens theatrically on Christmas Day. Christy picked Shallow Grave, the 1994 indie that marked the first cinematic collaboration of director Danny Boyle, screenwriter John Hodge, actor Ewan McGregor, and producer Andrew McDonald, though Christopher Eccleston and Carrie Fox are just as essential to it. McGregor, Eccleston, and Fox play three Edinburgh flatmates who take in a fourth who promptly dies, leaving them with a corpse and a suitcase full of cash. Naturally, being reasonable people, they decide to dispose of the body and keep the cash, which proves to be the first step on a very slippery moral slope. A perfect noir premise executed with nervous energy and dark humor, Shallow Grave was a sleeper hit that set its creative team on the road to bigger, bolder projects, including Trainspotting, which, come on. But this one was their first, and it'll always be a little special. This is someone else's movie. So, Shallow Grave is one of my favourite films. I watch it every year. And I think it resonates so much with me. Well, first of all, I'm Scottish. Mm -hmm. And it was a film set in Scotland, but it didn't have a tartan element. Do you know what I mean? A lot of the times films set in Scotland have to be about being Scottish or whiskey or, or some battle, whereas this was just an interesting, twisted thriller in which the people happened to be Scottish. Right, yeah. Um, the other thing that really drew me to it was that the female character in it wasn't a good human being. <laughs> like, she was a bad person, and that was pretty rare at the time. It was rare to see female superheroes or, or female villains. It was rare to have any sort of complex female character. And so I remember watching it and being like, oh, this is something different. It's also twisted and funny and dark and messed up. All the things I hope I am. <laughs> I am. And so, yes, yeah, so that, that was how I, I, I chose it. And so I was frankly stunned to realize looking it up just for a couple of, of clarification points, it's 25 years old. I know, it's crazy that, isn't I, it? 1994. I was, I mean, I saw it then. Did you? Uh, which means mm -hmm. I'm very old. Well, <laughs> it, it came to Canada a few months later, yeah, but, yeah. but it was already building. When it arrived, yeah. it was the, I mean, this was this was sort of peak Tarantino. Public yeah. fiction had just hit. Everybody was excited about the new places. People were taking thrillers and noir and all of that. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, it, well, it came out, I was, I wouldn't say what age I was, but I was too young to see it in the cinema. Well, I was going to say. I saw it in VHS. My grandmother rented it from Global Video, <laughs> like, around the corner from me. Um, and because my, none of my, my grandparents and my mum never believed in the idea that um, you were too young to watch anything. So I saw, like, I saw Silence of the Lambs when I was, like, 12, and it permanently <laughs> scarred me. And I think, I guess a part of this film scarred me as well when I was really young. So the first time I've ever seen it, 1994, I'd have been like maybe, say it came out in 95, like nine, Jeez. nine or ten when I saw it. Um, like too young hmm. to watch it. And I remember being absolutely terrified by the ending when he gets stabbed and it goes through the boards. Yeah, yeah. And I remember also, like, I, why, that, when I saw it again, probably when I was like 14 or 15, when I watched it as if I was watching a film that I wanted to watch rather than a film that I was too young to see. I, it had like a profound difference. I remembered everything so different. I remembered the, the horror scenes being way more kind of horrifying. Sure, well, your brain fills Yeah, in. exactly. You fill in all the gaps. I remember, I thought it was like a real bloodbath at the end. But actually, the action's just used to further character development. Yeah, I love the twist. And I mean, I, it's, one of, it's one of the smartest thrillers out there, and I think it's sort of always overlooked. 
Yeah, I I mean, I'm constantly surprised to find it in the Criterion Collection. I, I own it. Yeah. I have the Blu-ray, yeah. and yet every now and then I'll be going through the stack and oh, that's right, that's yeah. in there. And the, the joy of it is that, yeah, it doesn't feel... 25 years old it's no you know, maybe it's, it's a couple really, of things it's really kind of timeless I mean there's a few bits in it like that feel a bit 90s um, like some of the jokes the giant mobile phones yes um, like, like that bit kind of orientates it in time but the story the characters um, I mean where it was shot in Edinburgh as well I'm not from Edinburgh I'm from mm-hmm. Glasgow but it was a lot of that's really kind of like it could have been London it could have been New York it just had that anonymous city feel yeah generic urban yeah, yeah, just, feel yeah just generic kind of like where a lot of people are, are kind of drawn together and thrown together in close quarters. It also, I mean, what they managed to do, it's, it's a really short movie. Mm-hmm. It's the script as well. I, I read John Hodge's script later, obviously. I've never managed to read the script, the shooting script, which I would always like to have done, but I read one of the uh, scripts that were issued online, so like I kind of retroactively typed after. And it is very austere. It's really to the point, and it's a bit ruthless, and I think good writing should be like that mm-hmm. and especially when it comes to screenplays like you should be able to paint a visual picture but never go like mad with you know purple prose yeah it's well I mean the film itself too is yeah. a sprint yeah right? like oh, just that opening 100%. shot that moves through the streets yeah. which at that time was still sort of novel although yeah. I remember I think the professional used almost exactly the same approach for its opening credits. It must have, yeah, yeah, right around the same that, time, yeah, yeah. And, and then there's Killing Zoe on the other side that also starts. But it was just it was in vogue, and of course, Train Spotting would sort of perfect yeah, that, trains, that yeah. hurdling activity. It was funny because I, I I remember reading I think Danny Boyle's like one of the greatest British film directors. Um, like he's just incredible. I love the work he's he's done. I mean, throughout his career. Oh yeah. But I think I read an article in which he talked about how his father would always say, oh, but it's not Shallow Grave. Yeah. And I actually feel the same way. Like, I love Trainspotting. I think it's a great film. But there's something about it. It's just not Shallow Grave. <laughs> um, and I would never say that to Danny Boyle. <laughs> not in a way that was in any way um, condemning Trainspotting, but just that I think there's something about his that first film that's just really wild and audacious and fun. Yeah, it's the... I think it's the purity of the execution, right? Yeah. I mean, he has nothing. He has nothing to prove and everything to prove. Yeah. And so, and Hodge's script is so. Yeah, it's merciless. Oh, it's merciless. Um, the, yeah, the whole film is the score as well. Like everything, everything sort of. It doesn't feel like a first-time filmmaker at all. Like it doesn't feel. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't feel yeah, like yeah. someone's debut or anything like that. It feels so accomplished. It feels like the tenth film someone's made in their career because it's so unbelievably streamlined. Mm-hmm. Um, and the performances in it are fantastic. I was going to say, and this is the result. Like, I think both the, the, the execution of the film and the, and the, the quality of the performances yeah. is the result of him deciding they all needed to be roommates yeah. as the story goes. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And I, I mean, the idea of putting all these fields together, it was quite funny. I, I used to live with two guys, and, and we are all very good friends still, but we used to feel like we were a bit shallow gravy <laughs> and everything. Because like, we would we would occasionally kind of devolve into being like, no, I, I would 100% murder you right. and, and then flee to Brazil. Um, which is just what I think is the sort of usual twisted sort of British flatmate etiquette there's not so much like I love you so much I hope our families go all together it's more like oh no I know help, how me, help me or I'll murder you yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's the it's I, the film that I think of weirdly enough for no particular reason at all except that I, I connect it in my brain is Withnall and I yes oh my god uh-huh. they're bound by they're bonded and bound by misery and location yes yeah and here it's simply yeah it's that it's that exact chemistry and and coincidence leading to no we we will be at war like yeah. we, we have this thing which if we're all responsible and mature 
we you know they all eat the three of them together collectively yeah. have the tools have yes. the sensibility have yep. the stamina yep. they could do this yes but they're human yeah and it all that's, goes to hell. and that's to me that's you know what that's the absolute crux what you've reached you've reached the, the sort of most important point the reason that I love that film is that there are three flawed human characters mm-hmm. and the decisions they make the choices you make you could see yourself making them maybe not so much Christopher Anderson's yeah. but but, he goes the extra know, mile. Yeah, Ewan McGregor. Like every everyone else in it, you can kind of see. You can be like, oh no, there's a version of me in which I do that. And so the humanity, it, that script, that film drips with humanity. It's so unbelievably kind of like a perfect portrait of what it is to be human. And I think anyone can understand that. If you've ever lived with roommates, you can kind of understand the sort of madness and the the small little intimate world that, that gets kind of wound and wound and wound until someone breaks. Yeah. Well, the pressures are all completely believable, too. I yeah. mean, short of the one leap of finding the money, which, again, it's set up. It's, yeah. it's, it's that noir thing where you are tempted and what the hell? Yeah. It's, like, it's, well, it's mean, airtight. Yeah. No one will know. It feels, it feels almost like a kind of Shakespearean drama. You know, it's, it's, it's about greed, which is... Anyone can understand. It's so pure and simple. And what they've done is they've spun everything out from that very simple idea. And so the script isn't simple, but the core kind of like human instinct behind it is so easy to understand and access. Yeah. And you mentioned up at the top that Carrie Fox was surprising to you and that she was just as awful as everyone else. Yeah, exactly. But in, yeah, structurally, we expect her to have the greater morality also because she's a doctor and therefore is supposed to be concerned yeah. with these things. But what, what I love about, you know, I know a few people that are doctors and they're usually very, very intelligent. And that lends itself to being very rational, right. which doesn't always lend itself to being very good. You know, they're quite different things. So that, in a way, everything about that made her her character completely believable to oh, me. Oh, no, she's completely compelling. And I mean, she's, I mean, she's incredible in it. Like, what a performance that is. But also, like, the, the, the idea of not making the woman the moral compass mm-hmm. was pretty revolutionary at the time, I think. Yeah, I think so. Um, and actually, it's still weirdly revolutionary now. I mean, one of my favourite shows is Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> I read a lot about how, like, when Caitlin Olsen first became involved in it how she was the kind of like normal foil yeah. and she had to like push back to get so that she could be as mad as them and that show only works because all of them are terrible people yeah if there's any grounding the whole thing falls apart well exactly if you have if you have some notion of reality you couldn't then have that world because it's close to reality but it's also insane yeah and I feel the same with Shallow Grave like if, if a single one of the people in it because even the cops if I remember correctly are pretty like not good people. Yeah, Everybody all... has shades all the way through them. And so like if you had one good pure human being in there, it would fall apart. Like a house of cars you pulled the bottom away. Yeah. The only way it works is if the person who dies at the beginning is a good person. Yes. And he's not. Yeah. So again, well, that's, all, the hook, that's, right? that's the other thing which I think is a smart choice as a writer and a director, is that, you know, you're not taking money from Mother Teresa. I mean, it's drug money. Mm. No one's going to really miss it. Well, yeah. someone does miss it. But no one, like, you know, it's not as if you're stealing it out of the mouths of orphans. Yeah, and it can't be reported. And it, it's, exactly. safety it's not recorded. is the, you yeah. can sort of, you can convince yourself that it's the right yeah. choice. Yeah. And what I like so much, you know, in a simpler version of that that movie, the, the real drama would be the drug dealers coming for their money. But in this version, the real drama is the flatmates, this, the connection between the three of them, this weird dark triad. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is just infinitely more fascinating. Yeah. 
No, it is. And, it, and again, those, the casting is dead on. Um, yeah. Eccleston, I had seen in some things. Um, I think he'd already made Let Him Have It by that I point. I think so. I think so. Uh, my, my relationship's always so skewed because that's the first thing I saw well, I many say, of them in. I was going to say, if you're nine, this is your yeah, discovery. Yeah, yeah. Because I, re- I remember Ewan McGregor being in train spotting, and then obviously in the Star Wars. And so I, I, that, that was like, I thought, oh, he's got really meteoric rise, but he, that, there was probably years between all of that for him. It was just compressed <laughs> for me. <laughs> I am... Um, well, this, yeah. is, this is the, the argument that uh, people make about the Harry Potter movies, which is that kids are seeing the entirety of Mike Lee's cast oh, I know. being magic. Yeah. And then they're going to go seek out these things. I had this whole encounter with David Thewlis where uh-huh. uh, he said that the, the boys who played the Weasley twins were very young. were yeah. were just sort of skipping around and saying, oh, sir, we understand you're in... I said, oh, Naked, the, the Mike Lee film. And he would just yeah. say, oh, you're too young for that. And then they watched it anyway and said, well, that was very dark. And he just turned to me and said, well, wait until they watch me buggering Leonardo DiCaprio oh on Total Eclipse. Could like, you imagine? This is what happens. <laughs> but well, now, yeah, you have Anakin, or, sorry, you have Obi-Wan, yeah. you have the Doctor, yeah. and Carrie Fox, who somehow never became as big know, as she should. Did she is, just go back to Australia? Like, yeah, maybe. I feel like she never really... I mean, maybe there just wasn't that many roles out there that, that were interesting enough to kind of appeal to her. Yeah. I mean, I knew who she was by that point. Yeah. And it was it's a perfect role for her. She oh, does yeah. have this edge and this hardness that she... Yeah. She can turn it on and off, and yeah. she does, you know, like twice at least yeah. to just beautiful effect in this Oh, film. my God. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's like, that, that scene where they're doing the interviews with the flatmates mm-hmm. right in the opening. It's that, just that idea. It sets up the whole tone of the film so well in the sense that you think... Oh, okay, I kind of know where this is going, and I kind of think I know who these people are, and then very quickly the sand shifts underneath you, yeah. and you're like, "Oh, I'm in something completely different." And she, she is such a skill in that. In a way, it reminds me a lot of um, of Gillian Anderson, like th- yeah. that kind of hardness that's very, like she's so beautiful. There's everything, but there's a, there's a lot there that draws you in and pushes you back at the same time. Like a really, really interesting actress. Yeah, and when that facade cracks. It's oh so much more. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that it ever really does in Shallow Grave because she just gets well, harder love, and harder uh, and yeah, harder. Yeah, she does. No, but there's that scene in the car. Um, well, no, actually, I think probably my favourite scene is the big confrontation scene where it's like, you know, Christopher Eccleston has her and she's just like, look, just just kind of like, give him what he wants and we'll all walk out of here and we'll, and we'll all be fine. And do you feel real jeopardy in that? And I think, see, because she's built such this hard persona all the mm. way through, you think oh, the gloves have really come off now. And that's the other thing, is like traditionally in an action movie or in the sort of more modern versions of that, there's like someone who's got a gun and the, the, or someone who's so over, like so easily going to overpower them. Do you know what I mean? It's like Dwayne yeah. The Rock Johnson versus like some little guy. Whereas in that film, it felt more like reality. It felt more like, okay, the two of them could maybe take Christopher Eccles in a fight, but can they really? Yeah. And, and are they willing to? Are they, right? willing are they to? Like, capable of it? Because exactly, they're still people. Yeah. Not how far can they push themselves to do it? Um, and I love the scene where she, you know, when she takes the suitcase and she gets in the car, and then when you realise it's all the newspaper, yeah. and her crying and laughing, crying and laughing, she's got no choice but to go and get on the plane. Yeah, I, I, I want someday. I want to ask Brian Cranston if he pulled on that for the the big moment My at the God, end of, of that course. season in Breaking yeah, Bad. Yeah. So that was the first thing I thought of. It's like. Well, of course they've seen it. They must have seen well, it. Well, they must have seen it. Like, I'm sure Vince Gilligan it. has seen it. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, I, I don't think enough people have seen Shallow Grave. I mean, I know lots of people have, but I feel like it's not kind of like, re- doesn't remain in the popular culture in the same way. I don't yeah. know why. Probably distribution, right? I think it comes down to something. It was a, it was gone for a while. 
uh, before yeah, Criterion picked it out. I think yeah. it was because was it one of the Polygram films or, or Gramercy? There was a, there were a Could bunch been, of little boutique yeah, labels, yeah, at least in North America, like, yeah. that just they sold their catalogs and went yeah. away, and a half a dozen. Truly great. Miami Blues was gone for a while. Yeah. Uh, what was the other one that I've always been just fighting t- for? T- oh, there's t- still t- a Tim Roth movie uh, with Tupac what? called Gridlock. Yeah. I've nope. not seen that. See? 1998, it was definitely Gramercy or Polygram. And I remember Tim because it was... Tim Roth and Tupac. Yeah. Holy crap. As, as I hustlers in, I want to say Atlanta, but it might be New York. Yeah. And it's tremendous. It's great. It was directed by... Oh, God, I can't remember now. It was directed by an actor. Oh. Uh, I, I will add this at the end because yeah. I'm freezing <laughs> up and we only have so much time. But yeah, no, nobody knows about it. And it's this marvel of uh, tiny, authentic... Vondi Curtis Hall directed it. Okay. There we go. Oh, yeah. uh, Vondi, if you're listening, please <laughs> get that out again. But it, that, that's a film that's it's 20 years old now and it's yeah. ripe for rediscovery. And I, I can't believe that the fact that Tupac Shakur probably gave his best performance in this film, just hasn't brought it back, but I think it's simply a rights issue. Wow. And Shallow Grave, like anything from 1991 to 1997, it could have been lost forever, yeah. and we're just so lucky that these things got pulled back oh, out. Oh, yeah, that's it. And I think as well, like, with the, you know, it took ages, I think, for it to come into DVD. Oh, well, I DVD I wasn't around yet. Yeah, yeah, well, I remember, I saw it in VHS the first time. I had the lasers. Like, Oh, well, fancy. Yeah. Much fancier. Much fancier than us. And I think I saw it in like four by three. Like, oh. I know, I know. There wasn't much technical advance no, in my, my home in Glasgow at that time. <laughs> but um, no, I remember watching it in that. And then I think I was in HMV when it was closing down. And I saw a DVD of it and I was like, oh, yes, finally something to own. But like Netflix should pick it up. Netflix should put yeah. it on because it's such a... You know, now more and more people are living with, with their flatmates getting older and older and older because it's, well, really impossible to, home, to yeah. buy a home. Um, and I just think the idea is, like, so timeless that, like, what you would do for money. And I'm trying to, I was trying to remember the amount of money that it is because it's, like, not that much. No, it's a couple hundred thousand pounds, yeah, isn't yeah, it? It's, it's, it's like, maybe 300,000? Yeah, it's, it's a yeah. weird number. Which is, like, it's, like, it's not enough to go and retire, like, do you know what I mean? It's not enough to disappear out of your life for, especially yeah. if you're a doctor. Yeah. Nowadays, you'd be like, mm, no, that's pay like, off your student yeah, loan. Yeah, yeah. But then, what are you going to do? Like, as you find yourself in Brazil, no student loan, great. But like, what are you going to do after that? Like, so it's it is. Um, there's there are parts of it that make it incredibly dated, but there are parts of it that are just so kind of open ended. It could yeah. just be anywhere. That's how you do it now. I think that, you know. I think there's actually potential because Boyle made Train Spotting too, right? Which yeah. is this amazing confrontation with the fact that we get old and yes. we aren't the people who we used to be. Yeah. I just I would love to see a drama about Carrie Fox's character now. Just My God, where she, maybe she's not in Brazil I, but I, she's happy somewhere. to write that. Happy to write that if you're out there in Danny Post. I'm just, sure John Hodges will have first dibs but um for like I'm available. I, I, I mean that's actually not <laughs> an impossible pitch, right? Like that's an interesting and you don't even have to drop it. You could even release it in a way that is a stealth sequel? Don't yeah. pull, don't like, let yeah, people yeah. make the connection themselves. Yeah, don't don't announce shallow grief yeah. too. What would she be doing? I mean, she'd probably be like doing some sort of backstreet surgery yeah. on gangsters in Brazil, wouldn't you? Yeah, because now she'd imagine she's lived yeah. that life. Yeah, right. She arrives with street cred. She's not afraid of blood or knives. Oh, maybe she's running a gang. I'd watch that. I would watch that. I mean, I'd, I would 100% yeah, write that. Yeah, that's a also. Netflix series. Now. Oh, yeah. Like, Narcos, but... Yeah. Much, much more bad. Narca. I one like woman. that. I like that. One woman, one <laughs> gang. I can see it. 
And maybe McGregor shows up at the very end. Yeah, you know, just he's, to sell it. He won, right? He kept the money. Yeah, he kept the money. Remember, because so, he stabbed, and then they do that amazing shot where you think he's dead. Yeah. They take a picture of him and everything like that, and then he's like, mm. they pull the knife out, and they, or the, the camera goes through. Yeah, the to show the blood dripping onto the money. Blood dripping onto the money, and him laughing. Signature. That beautiful laugh. And then what's the song that plays at the end? Oh, God, what remember. is it? It's like such a great. Like old-fashioned fuck you song. Oh, sorry. Can I? No, swear? absolutely. <laughs> okay, such a great old-fashioned like fuck you song. Um, oh, I wish I could remember it. Happy mm. heart. That's what it is. Yes, that's right. Um, it's just. Uh, I remember watching that, and it would have been maybe like this, the second time I've watched it. So not as a terrified child. I was gonna say this is like if you're watching this at nine, it's like this is how adults behave. Yeah, I was like, oh my god, I'm afraid of money and grown-ups. <laughs> Um, but just that idea of like that that amazing song kicking in and just being like oh my god it was like one of the films that made me want to work in film but the films that made me want to work in film are all pretty weird mm-hmm. like they're not kind of like traditional masterpieces I hear this a lot though it's the ones that push things it's the ones that show people that you could do this yeah you know not just here is a film about a very important issue that we're all going to think about of course it's the you can make a movie where all of this, like this insane pinball machinery, is packed together, yeah. and it's alive. And you could do this if you came up with a, a way in. Well, yeah. And then people walk out and go, "Yeah, I, I think I could do that. Not yeah. that, but something like." Yeah, that. yeah. Well, that's it. And I think also some of the some of the, <laughs> I mean, some of the films that made me want to work in film are actually just bad movies. Okay. Like Charlie's Angels, Two Full Throttle, made me want to work in movies, and that's it's not objectively a fantastic film but I remember watching it and being like wow it looked like they really had fun I really want to be a Charlie's Angel or I want to work in film and so in a way Shallow Grave did that as well I was like I was like wow this looks amazing this is like transportative it's like you're you're understanding what it is to live someone else's life Mm -hmm. and that I suppose was just like an automatic instinct out of greed I wanted to live many lives and I thought well as a writer I have the chance to do it by working in film. Yeah, I mean, it does. I was trying to figure out why it. There are some movies that feel like parties that are that that invite yeah. you in. Yes. And this is one of them because we are allowed to vicariously enjoy everything that happens, including the betrayals, without any you know, damage to ourselves. Yeah. Right? But but it is. It's a film where you can root for literally anyone. Yes. And not be entirely wrong. Yeah. And not be you know, and you can feel well, there's, feel there's a little no, dirty about it the, too. Like we said before, there's no good person in there. And because there's no good person in there, then you, you're allowed as the audience to bring your own stuff to who you root for. Yeah. So I remember obviously rooting for Carrie Fox's character because, like, as a young woman, and there was so much I, I responded to and identified with her. And then, like, as the film progresses and you realise that she's become a terrible human, you jump to Ewan McGregor's character. I mean, I was never for Chris Ferguson, although I felt profound sympathy and sorrow for yeah. him. Because I felt like <coughs> he was just losing his mind. Um, but so like and, it, and so it's very cleverly tailored to suck you in like everything about it draws you in everything about it makes you lean forward in your seat or in your chair mm-hmm. I think the secret is too that if everyone's bad then we get to be the best people well, we get it. to sit outside and not judge exactly but just think I probably would have figured that out there's also there's also something to be said about like that cathartic watching people do bad things on screen mm-hmm. it is incredibly satisfying when someone does something bad exceptionally well so like when when you know after everything bad that's happened to you McGregor when you see that money beneath him drenched in his blood 
you do feel like, oh yeah. Yeah. He earned it. Yeah, he earned it. He won. Yeah. And like ultimately that's what it is. It's like it's like a kind of like evil competition in that you want to just watch it and and, and, and it's satisfying again and again and again. Even even though you do know how it ends, it's a movie that actually stands up to rewatching. It's very well done. There's like little moments, little giveaways, little character ticks. Yeah. You get to and watch the pieces fit together this time. Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah. The first time you're just kinda wowed. The second, well, the first time for me, I was just kind of terrified. The, oh, yeah. the second time, I was just kind of wowed, and the third time, I was like, oh, "Okay, this is a smart film. Like this is this is how this is how you construct a character-driven thriller." Yeah, and so this brings us to the the other question of the podcast, which I I've been trying to figure out whether there is a direct connection to 1917. I can't <laughs> see that there is. I don't think there other is. than a ticking well, clock. No, do you know what the the connection between. I suppose 1917 and Shallow Grave and I, I don't know if anyone else will agree with this but I do as a writer is the importance of character mm-hmm. um, as a writer how important it is to construct characters who the audience root for regardless of who, of their circumstance regardless of what they're going to do I mean you know in 1917 there's a good chance that if not Blake but Schofield has definitely killed people and that can sometimes make it hard to root for a person that's mm-hmm. done it but the fact that he doesn't want to keep doing it, the fact that he hates being in the war and everything like that, I think is is the stuff that you latch onto as the audience. So, like, even though they, they share very very little, the the onus on writing good characters, I picked up from Shallow Grave, and I obviously wanted to make that in my own work. Yeah, is there another way that you sort of lifted or borrowed or or outright stolen from Shallow Grave? Something else. Not really. Now that really. we've pitched the sequel, obviously. No, well, of yeah. course I've pitched the sequel, so that is a hundred percent theft, and I will, of course, my lawyer is and can be contacted. That you'll you'll add that into the podcast. Absolutely, right? yeah, I want to <laughs> see the show. <laughs> um, no, not for nineteen seventeen, but in my other scripts I've been writing, there's always sort of elements of all the films that you love and all the films that have kind of made it into your brain and and the ones you watch again and again and again, and and in some of the. TV shows that I've worked on or that I've pitched, I've always said, you know, always oh, the lives of others make shallow grave is right. a pitch I gave literally last week. <laughs> um, and so it's there, it's always somewhere under, like, just kind of right underneath the subconscious, hmm. working its way out. You're always, I'm always trying to make a film that I feel is as good as shallow grave. Right, it's the, it's the goal, it's the Yeah, exactly. Form. You're trying to make a film that hopefully 25 years from now you'll be talking to another young writer and, and they might bring it up 1917 I'd be pleased about that yeah. and then I'll say oh you should see Shallow Grave yeah exactly it's got so much in common <laughs> my thanks to Christy Wilson Cairns whose new film 1917 opens theatrically on Christmas Day you can also imagine how hard it was for me not to ask anything about Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho coming in 2020 thanks also to Rebecca Schultz she knows what she did you can find Christy on Twitter at WeWriteAtDawn, all one word and an amazing handle. And you can find Shallow Grave on Blu-ray and DVD in the Criterion Collection in a fine special edition that includes a fun retrospective interview with the cast. It's also available on iTunes and Google Play. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at SEMCAST, S-E-M-CAST, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. Our new theme song is by The Last Year. If you like it, or this show in general, please say so. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you've been listening to the show. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other podcasts on the Frequency Network. They're pretty good. Thanks for your support. 
And thanks for listening. We'll be taking next week off, but the show will be back January 7th. And it's a good one. See you then.